Autonomous Unity on the Service with Autonomy Network, the SWAN. This is Episode 9, Tale of Two NAs. And welcome once again to Autonomous Unity here on the Service with Autonomy Network. I am your host, Chubbs the Addict, and this is Episode 9, A Tale of Two NAs. Really quickly, before we get started, let's dispense with the disclaimers and formalities. The opinions expressed here are the opinions of the host and nobody else. This podcast is not promoted or endorsed by any home group or entity or service of or for NA. The opinions expressed are mine and nobody else's. Even within the traditionalist movement, we have varying opinions. If you're listening from Radio Free NA or a closed Yahoo group, a closed Facebook group, anything like that, all that means is that myself or somebody like me posted the podcast in one of those forums. It does not mean we are endorsed by any particular website. Any websites that I reference on this podcast are for informational purposes. They are not affiliated with, nor do they endorse this show. If you're new to recovery, I would humbly suggest that you maybe uh, check out episode two first. Uh, That would be the episode entitled All About Recovery. That particular episode deals more with issues of a personal recovery nature uh, rather than the things like the internal and external controversies that unfortunately we sometimes have to deal with as a spiritual fellowship uh, attempting to operate service structures and, and an office. And if you are new to recovery, it is far more important at this juncture that you focus on your own personal recovery and get a solid foundation before you Concern yourself with things of these nature. In fact, I would strongly suggest consulting with a sponsor. If you don't have a sponsor yet, it's definitely not time to get involved in this type of stuff. Not that this stuff is bad. It does need to be dealt with, but everybody needs a foundation before they can worry about the whole. And finally, if you are not a member of Narcotics Anonymous, we do humbly request that you tune out at this time. This is in keeping with both the spirit and the letter of our traditions, in so much as internal controversies and debates do not become public fodder. So now that we've got those disclaimers out of the way, let's get on with the rest of the program. So today I'm going to tell you a story. And if you're less than 20 years clean, especially if you come in within the last 10 or 15 years even, uh, I would really ask at this point that you clear your mind because some of the things I'm going to talk to you about may sound a little bit foreign. When I came to Narcotics Anonymous, I I was not taught a disdain for world services by any means, but I was taught that the home group level is more important than the area. The area is more important than the region. The region is more important than the world. I was taught things like that we are the fellowship and that we own the literature. And the reason I tell you this is that I've had a chance to travel the country over the years and especially more recently live in various areas of the country in different areas and regions of the fellowship and to travel around recently with a home group. I've really had my eyes open to the fact that a lot of people come in under a different culture in Narcotics Anonymous, that a lot of people come in with this idea of an office and world board members who have authority and and groups needing permission uh, from world services, uh, not just to do certain things, but a lot of times to do anything. This idea that we don't own our literature, even though we're we're told about a trust all the time. the culture that I came in under in Narcotics Anonymous, even in 1997, and a lot of it had to do with the area that I was in, was far different than a lot of the things that I see today. 
and again, it wasn't that the area I was in was anti-world by any means. The area that I, well, I came up in two areas in one region uh, where I attended meetings across two different areas. But, uh, you know, the, uh, the areas and the region that I came up in used the concepts. And it was something I was never comfortable with if you've listened to other podcasts. Uh, and I didn't know why the concept struck me wrong at first, but I knew there were some things out of line with them. So I, I came up under this culture that told me it was okay to research the history. It was okay to find out who was right and, and who was wrong. And as far as when we were told conflicting uh, things about authority and the service structure and, and various aspects of our history. And so when I heard conflicting accounts of who owns our literature, when I heard conflicting accounts of what happened with this thing called the baby blue, uh, to me it was okay to go on the internet and do some research. And the internet was very young back then. There wasn't a ton of stuff out there, but it was okay to research these things. And it was okay to find out. I, I was always literally uh, taught in recovery that ultimate authority lies with the home groups. And, and it's not this final responsibility that, that all responsibility, all authority is with the home groups, uh, that it's not a we sign off on what world does it's that nobody does anything without the home group's permission and that's the way i was taught even though the the areas that i was in did use the concepts there was this strong sense of ownership and a lot of times i got the feelings in area meetings that the concepts were something we read at the beginning of the meeting because we were quote unquote supposed to um but, you know, anytime there was a controversy, especially in one of the areas, anytime there was a disagreement, the traditions were far, cited far more often than the concepts. And even today, I see that being different in, in the service structures where uh, sometimes the traditions are not cited at all. I I was heartbroken when I was in one particular area and, and saw on the back of their schedule and it talked about a sponsor being someone who guides you through the steps and the tradition slash concepts as if they were being interchangeable and, and so we have this culture where the concepts today are a replacing the traditions especially with regard to services or b are considered interchangeable with them and, and we have this um, mentality that na especially the service structure that serves narcotics anonymous is this majority rule proposition and, and so i, I want to tell you a story about a fellowship that I know and some of this comes from personal experience and most of it comes from research and I'll tell you one of the interesting things I found as I did honestly and open-mindedly try to figure out this whole literature movement thing this whole baby blue thing this whole what really happened because I'm hearing two different sides of this baby blue story and really things with with regard to all aspects of our our history and our traditions as i've researched things I've, I've had the opportunity to meet people who were involved in the writing of our basic text and i want to stop and, and just kind of make a little disclaimer right here because our basic text was literally written by thousands of addicts uh, from what i understand at least a thousand addicts pro probably thousands and I am quite certain there are people out there who were involved with the writing of our basic text who would disagree with me as far as the traditionalist movement and the baby blue. I just haven't personally met any of them. But any time that I have had any sort of contact with uh, any of the people who played a major role in our, our history, especially with regard to 
the literature movement of the late 70s and early 80s, um, especially with regard to the writing of our basic text, they're all people who've been ostracized by the current world service structure. It's not one or two malcontents, uh, as we're led to believe. They're all people who played major roles who we are not even told as a fellowship of their existence. As I go to various groups around the nation and I hear people talk about our basic text, I don't ever hear people talk about the way it was written anymore. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that people don't necessarily know, but it's obvious to me that people don't know that a lot of the people who played the major roles uh, are considered uh, dangerous or outside of what the NAS uh, Corporation or the World Board would maybe consider to be uh, acceptable narcotics anonymous, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, you know, even people, and I never met Greg P., but even people like Greg P., we, we so rarely hear reference to his name uh, and, and you know may could be have something to do with he sponsored some of the people who were involved in the baby blue movement on the traditionalist side of things it, it could be that uh, the service structure that he authored that we pretend to follow to this day with names like uh, regions and areas and which uh, world services is very actively trying to get away from now to completely change with the ssp uh, obviously that we don't hear any of this history. It's why when I, I get an unintentional email uh, from a man, and I'll just tell you the story, when uh, the original NA.org website went up, again, this podcast is not affiliated with that, but my home group runs that website. Um, a lot of people had sent out emails, and one particular gentleman who happened to be heavily involved with the writing of our basic text sent out an email I think to about 4,000 people, actually uh, a social media email. And uh, these 4,000 people, a lot of them send it out to their lists. And we had this website go viral for a little while. Um, and I got a, a, an email back from a gentleman who he just happened to have been the literature chair at the time that the first edition came out. And this was not Boes. This was a man after Boes. Uh, but he had he had been the literature chair uh, when the first edition came out, and we had that controversy with our traditions being changed. And somewhere along the line, he'd been on somebody's list, and apparently he'd hit reply to all. And uh, I got this email message that uh, it wasn't intended just for me. It went went out to everybody who uh, had had received the uh, message telling them of the website. But uh, he joined another fellowship. And the man, it sounded like he was heartbroken, but he he talked about the autonomy being gone in Narcotics Anonymous and that he'd found true autonomy in another fellowship and that he just wasn't interested in, in what was going on with our movement. And it wasn't because he doesn't love Narcotics Anonymous, it's because the Narcotics Anonymous that he knew didn't exist anymore. It's because the basic text that those people wrote had been changed, and not only in the fourth and ninth tradition, but completely changed with the fourth edition fiasco. And if you think that was fixed when 25 missing lines were reinserted, I'll tell you right now, go online. If you're not a baby blue person, if you don't want to even get one for free, just go online and view one. 
There's a lot of websites you can do it at. OriginalNA.org is one of them. You can erase it from your hard drive when you're done viewing it, but take it and compare it to uh, the R program portion of your sixth edition. In chapter one alone, 60 sentences have changes to them. And there's one very major conceptual change uh, just in the first chapter. The R symbol section uh, at the front of the book uh, isn't even in the same order anymore. And that may not seem like a huge deal to you, but when we're talking about a light edit of a book, when we talk about what was supposed to happen with the fourth edition, and that fourth edition should have gone back to the fellowship for input and review after that light edit was done. It wasn't a light edit, but if I told you a light edit had been done of our book, and then I told you that 60 sentences had been changed over 10 chapters, it might make a little bit of sense. That might go, yeah, that sounds like a light edit. 60 sentences were changed in the first chapter by itself. Some of them, very minor changes, but 60 sentences in the first chapter alone. And that's what I'm telling you. Get, get a, a copy online. of If you have issues with the Baby Blue, get a copy of the second edition online. You said you don't have to download it and keep it if you believe in what Nas tells you about the FIPT, but just compare them. But that being said, you know, these are, are some of the differences that I, I see today. This is some of the unknown history. And so that being said, if you are new to this fellowship, and by new, I mean new like me within the last 20 years, because I think that because of the area that I grew up in and because of some kind of fortuitous circumstances that happened to me, I gained access to information that I may not have otherwise had. And so clear your mind with me for a moment and, and, and forget everything you know about N.A. history and the N.A. service structure. And that doesn't mean that I don't want you to research things for yourself or not think for yourself. I just want you to listen to a story for a, a little while with an open mind. And then whatever preconceptions you had, you can go right back to those when we're done. But I really want you to consider. I, I want you to, I guess, experience and feel what N.A. could be and what N.A. should be. So with that being said, let's let's tell the story of the history of N.A. And I'm not going to go off any notes here, so if I, I misquote something by a year or two, I apologize. I know on this program we're very into documentation and being accurate, but for the purpose of this podcast, um, I don't want to ruin speaking from my heart with quoting source material at this point so again please verify the source material that's out there if if i accidentally say 1986 instead of 1985 or something like that realize it was unintentional and it's because i'm trying not to go off notes at this point so in 1953 a group of addicts who were members of another fellowship started a program called narcotics anonymous and I actually didn't start a program called Narcotics Anonymous because right away we had our first experience with two different NAs and we had a debate about the traditions. And at this point it was a little bit understandable because what had happened was these traditions had been formulated, uh, I believe in the late 40s, mid to late 40s. I think 46 was maybe a big year for the formulation. But one thing I do know is that in 1952, this other fellowship adopted these 12 traditions and made them official. 
And so we have a group of people want to call our fellowship, what at one time was probably just a meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous of San Fernando Valley or something to that effect. And one man named Jimmy K stands up and says, we can't do that because of the traditions. AA will not allow us to use their name uh, as an outside fellowship. And uh, we can't have other affiliations. We've got to be AA or NA. So if we're going to do this Narcotics Anonymous, let's be Narcotics Anonymous. And again, you got to remember, in this other fellowship, the traditions are not non-negotiable at this point. If you read their long form, it talks about, uh, especially in one of their traditions, the seventh tradition, that uh, this ideal should become the reality as soon as possible, uh, something to that effect. At that point, the traditions were an ideal they were striving for. But you have at least one man in our fellowship going, no, these traditions, we can apply them literally. We can apply them non-negotiably. And those probably weren't his exact words at the time. That's something that happened with our basic text. But this idea of non-negotiable traditions was there. And he's immediately outvoted. And a short time later, this new fellowship or group or whatever you want to call it is informed by AA that you can't use our name as an outside entity. And so we become Narcotics Anonymous. And things, I don't know if I would say they go well for a while, but they go for a little while. And we have some meetings that are struggling, but we, we have some regularity. And eventually, addicts do what addicts do and in service structures, if you want to call it a structure at that point. And everybody resigns and everybody's replaced. And I'm not going to mention the name of the individual, but we have another individual become the chair or whatever it would be called at that time of the services. And throughout the 50s, we have things that uh, may sound familiar today. A man calling himself the president of N.A., much as in the same way that uh, uh, maybe certain special workers will call themselves executive directors of Narcotics Anonymous rather than uh, a corp executive directors of a corporation that is to serve N.A. when they're speaking to Philadelphia newspapers at a world convention. And so right away we have this different type of N.A. And I don't know how documentable this is, but I've heard things like hot seat meetings where one addict's put on the hot seat and, and everybody kind of takes their inventory. And, and things get very outside of our traditions. And by around 1959 or 1960, N.A., for all intents and purposes, the N.A. that we know today, the one that started in San Fernando Valley, is dead. But rather than, than let it die that death, Jimmy Kay and some other people decide, let's revive this thing. We, we now know that these traditions can't be negotiated, can't be bent even just a little bit. We need to do this the right way. And we have a fellowship start to grow and flourish, and maybe not by today's standards, but we have a fellowship that starts to gain traction in California. And we have this beautiful thing called Narcotics Anonymous start to spring up other places. And there was a, a different NA at the time. And, and when I talk about two NAs, this is not what I'm talking about, but there were literally at least two NAs back then, but two major NAs, because you have a Narcotics Anonymous 
that started in the 40s uh, that was actually incorporated in New York uh, start kind of on the East Coast. You have this Addicts Anonymous uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, I believe, that spawns this uh, Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, people coming out of this correctional facility where they had this Addicts Anonymous program uh, that, uh, and again, this is pre-traditions that uh, was somehow enmeshed with AA to a degree. Uh, was definitely uh, endorsed to a degree by AA. Uh, but you have the Southern Narcotics Anonymous that never used the traditions on the East Coast. But our program is so beautiful and the traditions are so simple and so pure. You start to have Narcotics Anonymous as we know it with the traditions that aren't under the New York NA spring up in places across the southeast and the east coast. And you have this fellowship start to grow and flourish, especially in the 1970s. And again, nothing like the growth that we experienced in the 80s. But we have this fellowship that eventually goes, we need our own basic text, a fellowship that is so committed to the idea of these traditions being non-negotiable that we start to realize we shouldn't be reading another fellowship's book in our meetings. And it wasn't because that fellowship was bad. We were very grateful to that fellowship at that time. Uh, there wasn't this anti-AA sentiment that we sometimes see today. But we did realize that we should not be endorsing this other fellowship in our meetings, despite the fact that we sprang from them that we should be using our own literature. And so the next question was, what is Narcotics Anonymous literature? And we had some at the time. The home groups in California had been writing some things, especially the groups that Jimmy Kinnon had been involved with. They'd been writing some things, and I told you the story before about an addict telling Jimmy, why do we have to write this literature? Why are we basically you know, wasting our time doing this, you know? Jimmy told him because there are addicts who haven't even been born yet who are going to need it one day. And the reason I have trouble talking about that without breaking up is because I was one of those addicts who hadn't been born yet. That was an inheritor and a beneficiary of what they were doing even back then. And so what was determined was that anything written by an N.A. member, a Narcotics Anonymous group or an N.A. member with the intent of carrying the message that was within our traditions and about our program was N.A. literature. And that doesn't mean it was fellowship approved in the sense that it was approved worldwide. And a lot of times, kind of by default, that's what happened with the California groups, because we have... A little bit of two NAs going on already and in, in, in this almost like California's in charge mentality and not in a bad way but this is where it started this is the literature their home groups used when there was only a home group or two or a small handful of home groups or whatever it was and so by default this is our home groups literature and and, and we have Jimmy Kinnon opened out of the trunk of his car, I believe, originally what they called the World Service Office. And you have groups on the East Coast getting frustrated, not getting literature on time. Eventually this moved from his, his car to his house. 
but not realizing that it's not really a world service office, that it was probably an area office that an addict had opened out of the trunk of his car initially for very good reasons. And you, you have this perception that we have this well-established world services that perhaps the fellowship is approved in California. And even a little bit back then, this perception of we need permission. Addicts, uh, I, I've heard one particular addict talk on a speaker tape of getting literature too slow and so running off copies of the stuff they had left. And, and I know under today's FIPT, that would be a no-no. But back then, there was nothing like that. But but these addicts thinking, wow, maybe I'm doing something wrong, but I got to do something to carry this message. So you have this perception of this World Service Office being in charge, but at the same time, this very empowered fellowship that's beginning to understand their traditions. And part of the reason they do get angry is because they realize that they run the World Service Office, that that World Service Office is accountable to them as, as home groups and individual addicts. And that any business that the fellowship engages in uh, outside of the fellowship as a tool to help the fellowship is quite literally the domain and the purview the is quite literally owned by the groups of Narcotics Anonymous and directly accountable and responsible to them. And there are miscommunications and people not understanding how small world services really is and a little bit of animosity. But by and large, we have this beautiful fellowship that wants a book, that wants our own literature. And people start to write individually on this literature. And I mean home groups, sometimes addicts just writing on their own. You have a man named Bo S. at one point uh, go to a world convention and, and track down people in world services and go, where's this book I've been hearing about? Where's our book? And again, if I don't have the details exactly right, I'm speaking from memory, uh, you know, from the stories I've heard directly from the mouths of some of the people involved with this at the time and, and the things that I've read in my research. But you have this beautiful process happening where the fellowship starts working on a book. And you have this man named Greg P. in World Services who encourages Boes to start working on this book, to start writing it. And you have groups up in Pennsylvania working on a book and, and, and hearing about the this group in Atlanta or this committee in Atlanta, whatever it is, is working on something. And here's Boess's number. Give him a call. And here was the mentality of the fellowship and the services at the time. Because when this call happened, and, and the story that I heard is Bo says to these guys in, in uh, Pennsylvania, hey, we're working on a, we're working on a book. More to the point, I guess they tell him, hey, we're, we're writing, we're writing an N.A. book. We're writing an N.A. book. <laughs> and Bo doesn't say, no, we're already doing that and we have the authority of world services. Bo goes, oh, really? So are we. That's awesome. God called you to be a part of this. And they start working together. And fellowship-wide, people are working on this book. And there's something going on. A little bit different back in the World Service Office at the time. And let's not get into the us against them that we can all be guilty of. I know myself, I get very passionate sometimes. Uh, and when I think somebody's wrong, I take them to task. 
It doesn't mean that they're the enemy and it doesn't mean that their motives aren't pure, that they don't think what they're doing is right. But you have people in California who have done this for a long time, who, who let's be honest, were the backbone of the fellowship. You have this man, Jimmy, who made sure we had literature, who made sure that N.A. didn't die the death that it almost died at the end of the 50s he and some other addicts and you have the natural human tendency to not want to let go you have the natural human tendency for some people to say look using aa's book is not outside our traditions uh, you know we've always used that book it doesn't mean we endorse them we we use their program why not use their book and honestly, we have Jimmy saying, when we're ready for a book, I'll write one. And that may sound shocking, and it may sound like an indictment of Jimmy. It's not. you got to remember the AA history, where they came from. And, and you have roughly 100 alcoholics, we're told, working on this big book in AA in the 30s. But other accounts, by and large, kind of say that most of the writing was done by this one man, Bill W., outside of the personal stories. And so you have Jimmy pretty much doing for this fellowship what Bill W. did for our predecessors. And you have Jimmy probably feeling a responsibility to spearhead an effort and write a book and, and participate in most of that. But you also have the human tendency to say, no, you can't use my stuff. You have the human tendency to not want to let go of something. I know that because I've experienced it myself with regard to services for Narcotics Anonymous. And when you've built something and helped it grow, it's afraid. You're, you can be afraid, excuse me, to turn it over to the fellowship, to turn it over to other people. You don't want them to screw it up. This has become your baby. But what ultimately happens is you have this book happen anyway. You have the fellowship holding literature conferences all over the nation. You eventually have the board of trustees participate. You eventually have the fellowship say, this is our book. And, and if you came in in the last 10 years, you really need to clear your mind about the way the World Service Conference operates. Because back then it was a far different process, a far different animal. Because the fellowship, not a world board, literally ran the World Service Conference. We had subcommittees, open subcommittees. If you wanted to write literature for Narcotics Anonymous, you wrote literature for Narcotics Anonymous. And if you wanted to be on the World Literature Subcommittee, you just went. It was as simple as that. So you really need to clear your mind. There wasn't this corporate controlled process. There wasn't NAS will tell the World Board what they want the World Board to do, who will then set the conference agenda. The fellowship will vote that we want a book and tell the the corporate entity and, and the office and, and world and the world services to write it for us. And a lot of people like to say, well, the world service office and they're not the same, but with the enmeshment of this super board who has a fiduciary obligation to the corporation, 
we do have all of this enmeshed. We do have the corporate enmeshed with what should be the spiritual and the business side of NA being separate, the, the spiritual and the material. So today we have this process where world will set the agenda and tell us when the book will be written. We'll set up the workshops where you can go to the workshop and then a facilitator or a chair will call on you, organize you into groups. We'll call on different groups and decide what goes into the report that goes back to World Services for consideration to be put in the book by the professional writers who, to actually be on the literature committee, had to submit resumes. And the, the quote-unquote non-professional writers who aren't being paid still had to submit resumes. And you have this very controlled process as far as the way things are written, what makes it into the book, what the committees look like. Clear your mind of that, because what happened back in the day was home groups just got together and wrote. An addict who just wanted to write would would write and, and give it to his home group or send it to the literature committee or just show up. Hey, they're going to be in uh, my hometown next week. They're, they're going to be in Santa Monica, let's say. I'm not from Santa Monica. They're going to be in Santa Monica. Wow. I, I live... Not too far from there. I'm going to go beyond the literature committee. And it was that simple. And you went and you wrote literature and they give you a job and your input was valid. And when I mean they, I don't mean some effective leadership structure like we hear so often today. You were given a job by the group of addicts that were there, by the fellowship, whatever your talents were. Hey, I don't know how to write. Can I talk to somebody and tell them my views and have them write it down? Sure. I don't even know how to verbalize things. All I know is I want to be a part of this. Can I, I you know, I, I got access to some copy machines. Can I be the guy who sets up who we ran or buy copy machines from? Or can I set up chairs, whatever you wanted to do? And it wasn't always menial. The man who, one of the people who stood up early on, I think at the third literature convention and, and said, how can we write a book if we don't even know who we are? Because everybody was cross-addicted junkies and alcoholic addicts and this and that, rather than just addicts, was given the job of being the, the style sheet editor, where he made sure that sobriety became clean time. Things of that nature. The, the different terminology was, was put into something clearly and concisely N.A., and it doesn't mean that he even had authority because this still then goes back to the home groups for approval. I'm told by everybody involved that I have ever spoken with that every piece of input affected that book in one way or another. That it wasn't this process of we do want this, we don't want that. It was how do we work this into the book. And even if it was something that didn't ultimately make the book or, or was determined it still had an impact it still meant something you know there's phrases we hear in our meetings today that didn't make it into that book and some of them would probably be inappropriate to put in the book some of them imply that if you relapse you're a loser things like hang out with the winners or hang with the winners it doesn't mean that those things didn't have an impact. There were things, if you read the gray form, that were originally included that were taken out. Some of the things probably should have been left in. Some of the things you go, wow, I can see why we wouldn't put that in there. Because it can come across as judgmental to the newcomer. It's not really the way we operate. But it was a valid point of view.
and we knew where ultimate authority lied. And so we had this fellowship tell the office, here's the book we're going to do. And here it is, because we ran the World Service Conference. We quite literally were able to do what we wanted to as a fellowship. If the vast majority of groups wanted something, A, it happened, and B, it wasn't forced on the other groups. Because the other dirty little secret was not every single home group in this fellowship initially wanted the basic text or approved it. And it wasn't forced on them. No home group had to use that book in order to call themselves a group of Narcotics Anonymous. Back then, no group had to register with any world entity the way we're told today, which is not true, to call themselves a group of Narcotics Anonymous. It's not true that you have to register with world to call yourself a group of Narcotics Anonymous, regardless of what the existing corporation wants to tell us. So much so that the literature committee eventually had more home groups listed with them than the World Service Office had. And we have these two NAs developing even back then. We have, in I believe, the introduction to the basic text, the line, make it in, that talks about services should never be in competition with one another. And on the surface, that sounds very spiritual, but the first time you read it, did you go, why would they put that there? It seems a little out of place. Of course they shouldn't be in competition with each other. It's a little obvious. Well, it's because we were just coming out of this phase where what the World Service Office wanted was not in line with what the vast majority of the participants of the WSC wanted, which was also in line with the vast majority of the home groups because back then we had representatives and not delegates who had authority to vote whatever way they wanted. We had actual representatives who represented the majority of the group consciences in their region when they voted rather than these delegates who are empowered to vote their conscience, their, their own conscience uh, with this vote of confidence. Uh, a delegate is, is given consultation and can then decide a representative is sent to represent the views they're told to represent. It's the difference between considering yourself an effective leader and a trusted servant. Effective leaders make decisions for the fellowship. Trusted servants do as they're told by the home groups. And it's one of the reasons that I do not believe that the traditions and the concepts are at all compatible. But back where what we're talking about, we have this beautiful book come forth. Uh, we have the gray form initially go out for approval and groups immediately start using it because we had a Narcotics Anonymous that realized at the time that anything that a home group wanted to use as its literature, it could. And there wasn't this myth of uniformity. There wasn't this myth because we didn't have, other than our, our little white booklet and, and some IPs, we didn't have any literature that was for the that was world approved by the entire fellowship we didn't it simply did not exist in the form of a book we didn't foist that on people we didn't tell people they they had to do it one way or another and we didn't tell groups you can't use this gray form to study in your meetings of course we want to study this in our meetings we want to get a group conscience and so we had the fellowship prevail and we've had probably many instances in our history, but we have early in the 50s a service board or committee get away 
from the traditions, and we eventually have the fellowship prevail at the end of the 50s and into the early 60s. We have a world services, that an office that by and large does not want to see the basic text happen, and we have a fellowship prevail. And we have the fellowship because we understand our traditions and where ultimate authority lies and that we're guided by a loving higher power at the level of our home groups. We have the fellowship prevail. And then we immediately have our book censored by those same powers that be that didn't want to see the book happen in the first place. And we have lines removed that say things like that the service structure an organized service structure is not a part of Narcotics Anonymous. It was fairly obvious to the fellowship at that time. Our ninth tradition says very clearly we should never be organized. So, of course, in our fourth tradition, when we're talking about autonomy, we're going to point out that the services that we use as tools for Narcotics Anonymous are just that. They're tools that we use. The same way when I pick up a hammer and put it in my hand, the hammer is not Chubbs the Addict. The hammer is something very personal to me that I control, that I use, that is is the means to the ends that I need to achieve, a very productive ends now that I'm in recovery. <laughs> hammer is used for creating rather than destroying. <laughs> but a, a, a hammer may be an extension of me. It's, it's not apart from me. It's in my hand, but it is not strictly a part of me. It is not Chubbs the Addict. It's something that is an extension of my arm that's a tool that I use and a very valuable one. And we have a fellowship that very clearly understands that and it states such in our book because it was confusing, especially when we have groups starting to say this area of Narcotics Anonymous, this region of Narcotics Anonymous, uh, you know, we have a little bit of confusion, maybe using the NA name where we shouldn't be or at least in a manner in which we shouldn't be using it. Maybe we should be saying for Narcotics Anonymous and make clear that these things are not part of, but we had a fellowship that by and large understood that. They understood that, that a, a leadership cannot rule, censor, decide, or dictate. And we put that in our ninth tradition. We understood that a loving higher power could not be expressed in an organized administrative structure, and that it had to happen at the home groups. And I've pointed out before that G was capitalized in our traditions to, to make very clear that we're talking about groups proper, a home group, not a generic group of addicts. So we have two very different mentalities. All the way back in the day, we have the corporate versus the spiritual mentality. And there's a very good reason that the predecessor fellowship to us stated in the long form of their sixth tradition that we need to separate the material from the spiritual that greg p said similar things in his writings that we as a fellowship understood that we understood the natural human tendency not just an addict thing the natural human tendency toward money power property authority also known as prestige we knew those things could drive us in the wrong direction and pull us away from our primary purpose, and we very intentionally kept them separate. And it's understandable that those who spend a lot of time in services could be diverted by those things. We're no better. We have traditions to protect us from our own tendencies as human beings so we don't destroy this beautiful God-given fellowship. So we don't lose what we have, have built. 
And, and it's not because I, I've never been a believer in protect the people from themselves, but I am a believer in protect the fellowship from the addicts who were tools in creating it. Because I don't think we created it. I think this was, if you ever listen to Jimmy K speak, um, one of his particular speaker tapes, he talks very intimately about his higher power and, and the way this fellowship came into being and basically what he was told to do. And I know Jimmy Kinnon sometimes ended up on the opposite side of the fellowship later on in the 80s. It's human nature. We have these traditions to protect us from our own human tendencies. We all want money, property, power, prestige. It all comes down to power and authority. When you really look at it, all those things are our means to control prestige, money, property. You know, they all come down to authority. They're all a means to control. Human beings love to control, let alone addicts. We, we, <laughs> human beings uh, love control. Addicts revel in it. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know if there would be a word to the extreme that we can take it to as addicts. And this isn't a judgmental thing. This isn't about us versus them, even though a lot of times it did come down to that in the service structure, which is another reason services need to be separate. Because we can't have us versus them in a spiritual context and in a spiritual fellowship. That stuff can't be in A, and sometimes it's going to happen. And sometimes people are going to vehemently disagree. And I guess sometimes that's okay. In fact, it's always okay to strongly disagree with one another. I know we're not always appropriate with it. So we have the 50s. We have immediately one group want to call us AANA, another very small faction, even if it was one man, say, we can't do it like that. The traditions prevail. We have eventually one man calling himself the president of NA, and that was not Jimmy K. And eventually we have the traditions and the fellowship prevail. We have a fellowship that needs a book, that wants a book, that realizes we shouldn't be having in, in died, implied endorsements of AA in every meeting and, and confusing our newcomers. And we have a World Service Office that says, we'll give you a book. And we have a very st staunch segment of the fellowship in their opinions as, with, as far as the AA Big Book is our basic text. And we didn't even use the term basic text back then. The AA Big Book is our big book. In fact, we used to call what was uh, being worked on the NA Big Book, not the NA Basic Text when it was being worked on. Uh, and I guess that's just more uh, for your own informational purposes. I don't know if it's e either here or there, but we have the fellowship prevail and get their book and then we have the book changed and we immediately have the fellowship demand our book back and at every instance sometimes the fellowship has temporarily temporarily lost control or had things go the wrong direction or, or maybe even the fellowship at times has especially with regard to our original name gone the wrong direction Group conscience and group opinion can be two different things. And I, I, I do believe group conscience only happens at a home group. That's why it's called group conscience and not service committee conscience, not service structure conference or conscience. But we, 
originally we did have just this one group of Narcotics Anonymous and their group conscience, and and but the traditions prevailed, and and we did things the right way. And when we didn't do things the right way in the fifties, things seemed okay for a while, and eventually the fellowship died or nearly died. You could maybe say died and was resurrected. And things really seemed to, around 82, 83, be going in that direction. So much so, and the, the fellowship realizes so much, this this renaissance of sorts, this, this ideal. And now we have put in our basic text this ideal that we've always held, that the traditions are non-negotiable, and we've made that official. That the 12 traditions of N.A. are not negotiable. They're the guidelines that keep our fellowship alive and free. That we do not negotiate them. We do not reinterpret them. And, and, and originally our book said that these things, we sometimes make a mistake when we talk about no muss in N.A., which is a beautiful line that I wish was still in our book. That when we talk about there are no muss in N.A., some of us make a mistake and think this applies to the groups the same way it applies to the individual. And that it's not negotiable whether or not our groups follow these traditions. And then by extension, that would be if the ninth tradition is applied literally and service boards and committees are directly responsible to us. And if the eighth tradition is applied literally and we run the service centers and we hire the special workers, those trusted servants and special workers and service committees and service centers are all bound by those same traditions and shouldn't be violating their anonymity or representing NA in or to the media. So we, we eventually have this renaissance going on in the fellowship, realizing why are board of trustee members who don't represent homebrew conscience voting? Why do we have people who participate in WSC voting on things? And we actually have two-thirds of the participants in the World Service Conference, which required most, almost all the votes of the people who actually represented home group conscience to stand up and say, this is what we want, and we have the vote overturned by this unprecedented maneuvering. And for the first time, we don't have the fellowship and the traditions lose for the first time, but for the first time, I believe we have something that hasn't been fixed to this very day. And the slippery slope begins, and, and we very slowly start to negotiate these traditions away. Not too long after we've said they're non-negotiable. But the fellowship has demanded that the lines be put back in our book, and they're put back in our book. And then a couple years later, we have the Board of Trustees, through maneuvering at the World Service Conference, take them out again under the guise of group conscience. And we've been over this in other podcasts and listened to the history of the, the baby blue with, with Billy A, but because we touched on a lot of the history of the basic text, but we have this conference that, that the trustees send back supposedly to the home groups, but a 60 day vote would be tough. If you were an RD in today's structure and, and told to poll every home group, it would be tough. You could probably do it with technology, but it would be tough to get a hold of each individual home group. And then if we had a real group conscience, where people actually went home and, and prayed about it and discussed it in their home group and talked to their sponsors and tried to get in touch and do an 11th step of, a step of sorts on it with regard to the will of their higher power and, and the ability to carry it out and praying for nothing else with regard to those decisions and taking some time to really try and find spiritual guidance. That's what real group conscience is, and it happens at the home group level. It would be almost impossible for a regional delegate 
to collect the information from all those home groups in today's culture. But back then, we have very few people with answering machines. I believe voicemail is non-existent. The Internet doesn't exist. Phone lists aren't something you can pull up on the Internet. They're something that are printed probably every th three months at best. And you hope everybody on that list is, is still there. And then you have landlines. No cell phones. Probably very few pagers. How do you get a hold of these addicts? And the addicts who did have pagers maybe quit carrying them when they came into Narcotics Anonymous because they were probably carrying them for nefarious reasons on the streets. So we have this whole way where it, you can't even pull the groups in 60 days. And for the first time, we have really pushed hard this idea of a vote of confidence, even though it doesn't exist in our traditions and the concepts have not been formulated or, or been passed to renegotiate our traditions at this point. And, and so you have these things unfolding and, and it's kind of funny because now we have a book and now the book is producing income and now money, property and prestige comes into play. And for the first time, the fellowship starts to lose battles. The fellowship votes to make the world service office, a subcommittee of the world service conference as it should be, as opposed to this outside entity with equal standing that comes together with the fellowship and granted to receive direction from the fellowship. But those in world services didn't necessarily view it that way that they had to take direction from the fellowship. Some did, some didn't. And we have the, this slippery slope very gradually happens. So we have now this supposed pull of the home groups that comes back in 60 days. And, and we're actually asked to believe that the very home groups that just two years previous had said, this is what the traditions mean. And, and it wasn't even, this is what the traditions mean. It was very obvious by the way they were written. That's why those essays came about when you read tradition nine and it says the NAS such ought never be organized, but we may create service board, boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. It, it's very clear that NA as such exists prior to and apart from any services that we may create. The services are optional. And that these services exist outside of and apart from NA as such. It's very obvious. And that they're directly responsible to us. They can't rule, censor, decide, or dictate. It's very obvious to the fellowship and and so we originally write the book like that and pass it like that. We then have the very people who are supposed to be in service rule, censor, decide, and dictate and take those lines out of our basic text. And the fellowship immediately demands that they be put back in. And they are. And we're expected to believe that a mere two years later, the fellowship has completely reversed itself on this with no other provocation than a simple letter requesting clarification on some issues from a group in Nebraska, not even requesting, uh, if I remember right, another vote. You have a service manual that's approved by the fellowship. And again, this goes back to the world services being under the direction of the fellowship itself. And you have all the home groups vote for the entire service manual. Yet when it's brought to the conference floor, the half that talks about world services being under the purview of the fellowship is withheld. So the RSRs in attendance vote for the piece that has been brought to them, but why was it withheld? And, and we have people who are new to recovery and, and who don't know to stand up and say, hey, we need to vote on this. And I don't know that it would have mattered. And we have this very slippery slope happening, and we have the fourth edition, and I'm not going to get really into that because, and there's so much we did with Billy Allen, but we have our book changed by an editor, and we touched on that 
a little earlier in this podcast. And then we have a moratorium without it going back to the fellowship, which we I don't see how we can ever put a moratorium on writing literature anyway. But this moratorium placed on a basic text by the conference where it can't be changed for five years. And then that five years is re-upped and renewed by the conference. And we have all these things happening. We have these concepts adopted that legitimize the ways in which we have been subverting group conscience at the world level for a very long time. And we're told we've gotten so big that we have to do things faster. Otherwise, how will we ever have this It Works How and Why book come about? Well, in retrospect, maybe the reason that It Works How and Why book wasn't happening was because those traditions were working. And because things that would change and renegotiate our traditions and corporate views and mentalities were being kept out. And again, it's not about being anti-corporation. It's about separating the spiritual from the material. And it's about keeping our spiritual fellowship spiritual. And you have things in that book that came out today that talk about group conscience and service structures that are very con contradictory to a literal application of our non-negotiable traditions. And we have, in the early 90s, for the first time, this thing, these concepts. And, and we have even members of the Board of Trustees saying, hey, we need to rewrite these right now. And former members, former trustees maybe. But we have people who are at least were former trustees going, we need to rewrite these right now if we're going to use concepts. Otherwise, the fellowship may eventually take them seriously by default. And I actually read uh, recently on Radio Free N.A., uh, an article that was written by a trustee who had, who had said that just that, that people may actually one day take these things seriously by default. What do you have now? Most of you probably have had the experience in your service committees that when there's a, an issue or debate, we quote the concepts, not the traditions. And so we have these two NAs in this very slippery slope and we bend the traditions a little bit here. And we get to this point today, and I know I've glossed over a lot of the history. It would take 10, 12 hours to go into much of it in detail, and we'd probably still only scratch the surface. But I, I hope I'm painting for you this picture of this very spiritual-minded N.A. that realized that we are run by a loving higher power and that, that loving God is expressed in our group conscience at our home group level. And that world is accountable to us, and that area and region are accountable to us. And we have this other mentality that at this point wants to rewrite everything and give us this SSP that would professionalize everything. And I don't mean that by paying everybody, but would make sure that the right people are groomed for the right positions, much in the way that we select the world board today, or I should say they select the world board today. And you have this one committee for groups over here that's really just a place for groups to share with each other that has absolutely no power input. And then this other committee over here where the agenda is set yearly by an administrative board you know for the area or, the, or whatever you're going to call it at this point and that to be on this committee where you actually have an effective voice or a vote that you are groomed in this other committee here so that we get the right it's total professionalism and, and the SSP even talks about wanting to use people who have professional backgrounds in certain areas in our service structure and with regard to public relations efforts and things like that we now have completely abandoned the idea of public information under the guise of public relations. And, and the same thing has happened where people talk about, well, of course we have leaders. Our second tradition says our leaders. Our second tradition says our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 
are leaders or people who have been placed in positions to do certain things. What society calls as a leader, the title that society might give a, a, a interpret as having authority in our fellowship has none is in fact a trusted servant is somebody who only does what they are told is somebody who serves the group conscience you know in that same regard when we're talking about public relations our traditions are very clear that our public relations are based on attraction rather than promotion and we need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press radio and films. There's almost two issues being dealt. They, they're related with to each other, but two issues being dealt with there. And we're talking very clearly. People know public relations. And it's not necessarily bad that we call something public relations. That's probably okay. But when we operate with aggressive PR efforts, we get away from the spirit and the letter of that tradition in so much as that we are not attracting rather than promoting. We don't need aggressive PR campaigns. That's why we called it public information because we went, well, if we're not supposed to promote this, all we should do is put information out there, let people know what we're about. We shouldn't have, be trying to mold ourselves to fit treatment centers. We should let treatment centers and the court systems know that we're here, but we don't need to change the way we do anything to be compatible with or relevant to them. Otherwise, we'll wither and die. We need to do what we know works for us and let them know we're here. And if they don't think we're going to work, we can't do anything about that other than to continue to give them information and show them that we are working. But when we get into PR, then we start to negotiate and enmesh ourselves with other entities and violate all kinds of traditions. And when we start to negotiate with other entities and try and be compatible and relevant to them, we start to get away from what works and we cease being narcotics anonymous and we become agents of a drug court or a treatment center. So I'm asking you today, this beautiful ideal, this something that did exist at one time in our fellowship where Ultimate authority resided with the groups where your voice mattered, where we're actually run by a loving higher power, where anybody could participate in any literature effort. And I know there's the illusion of that today with the traditions book, but can you go directly to the literature committee and end right on that book without submitting a resume and being selected? And even at the local level, does your input make it? I'd invite you to go on the World Service, uh, or excuse me, the NA.org, and, and read about the traditions book that's being written right now. The way you can participate is to have your area set up a workshop, and then you have your facilitator, and you follow their agenda, and you split up in groups, and you use the form they provide, which is very limited, and you send your feedback on the tradition that you happen to be working on. And you separate into these groups and then the moderator or the facilitator or whatever they call on it will call on different representatives from each group to talk a little bit. And the person who's moderating or the committee that's running the whole deal will make notes and decide what they send on to world services. And that may sound like open participation. And then you're going to get a book that's been completely written by professional writers and people on a very select committee that were, if some are not being paid, they were, they are being treated as professionals in every other sense of the word in so much as they're submitting resumes. Contrast that to an NA where 
hey, the World Literature Committee uh, is going to be meeting in Nashville this week or next month. If you can get there, you can write some literature. Better yet, if you can get there, send us what you wrote. Not go to a committee, not a... Send us what you wrote. You can literally come serve on the World Literature Committee anytime you want. Contrast those two things. You literally could serve on the World Literature Committee just by showing up back in the day. Didn't matter if you had two hours clean or 20 years. You could be a part of and your voice could be heard. And I know that's the way it happened because I recently got to participate in Lisbon, Ohio with the As Is conference, and it was actually being put on by some home group members of As Is, where they were writing a traditions book that's far different than the one being written by the corporation. And they were working on some IPs, and I had the experience. I could walk in and be part of the committee, and it didn't matter me with 17 years or somebody else with 39 years or somebody that just had a few months. We all had the same input and the same voice, literally. Nobody in that room had authority over anybody else. I know the difference. I've experienced it. But contrast those two ideals. Contrast in your mind, any literature is anything written by an addict for other addicts that falls within the 12 traditions that has the intention of carrying the message of Narcotics Anonymous to the still-suffering addict, or the ideal that anything that is approved by a home group that falls within those same guidelines versus only what World Services approves is NA literature. That the only valid NA literature is one-size-fits-all. That a group in New Mexico can't write a piece of literature with their own cultural nuances that's far different than a home group in New York that still falls completely within the 12 steps and 12 traditions and have this home group's literature be valid and that home group's literature be valid at the same time and it be called Narcotics Anonymous Literature. And I'm not talking about representing something as fellowship approved that's not approved by the, approved by the entire fellowship. Back in the day, we used to talk about the fellowships because we realized what autonomy was and we realized that we were one fellowship called Narcotics Anonymous but that we had fellowships in New York and fellowships in Pennsylvania and fellowships in Utah and fellowships in California who had their own autonomous group consciences and their own cultural nuances and ways of doing things and that the point of delivery of service would be best for what's that what, what, what was best for that community that would be by that community and for that community whenever possible. And that we weren't to build communities with one, one size fits all model. And we weren't to violate our seventh tradition by not allowing groups to stand and grow and come into being on their own the way they did quite naturally. The way we had this explosion of groups and, and, and the number of groups triple right after the basic text. And if you think it's working today, I'd only submit to you that you, you're only very now beginning to see the effects of some of the things that we've done, the changes that we've made. I grew up in an area that very little negative has happened on the local level, that the SSP was a shock to us. We were going, how could they even think they have the authority to do that? And then I've had the experience of sitting in, in meetings in areas where in any given week, half the meetings can end up being about who snitched on me at drug court. And I'm seeing the effects of enmeshment with treatment centers and drug courts and getting away from our traditions at, at various in various parts of the fellowship. And when we follow the traditions 
the local fellowships flourish regardless of what's going on at the world level. But slowly but surely that stuff is creeping in. Nearly every area and every region accepts the concepts today. And I know the vast majority of you listening probably think there's nothing wrong with those concepts. But I would just submit to you that if you're beside yourself going, how in the world can they think that this SSP is a good thing or that it fits within traditions and what makes them think they have the authority to foist this on this on us, especially when it was very clearly voted down before the 18 hour CBDM session that kept it as a viable alternative. If you're wondering how they can get there, I'm submitting to you that didn't just happen out of nowhere. I would even submit to you that the people on the world board are, are by and large, probably all good people. I don't know. them. I don't know for a fact that they're, they're good people or not, but, they're addicts seeking recovery. And this is what our traditions are about. This is autonomous unity. I can vehemently disagree with the members of the world board on almost every issue. But when we come together in a group setting, and I'm talking about a recovery, a group setting, that stuff goes out the window or it should. If I were to meet a world board member, we shouldn't hate each other. If a world board member were to find out that I associate with Billy A or Bo S or Jim M or Vito L or, or, or anybody else that they view as dangerous, it shouldn't cause them to not want to love me and not want to talk to me about recovery as an addict. And we probably would have trouble being in the same room discussing our views on service structure. But autonomous unity means that we do have each individual autonomous home group, its own opinion and ways of doing things. And we, we shouldn't bastardize our first tradition into this idea of uniformity or if every home group's not using the literature that world has approved, we should set the home groups against each other. If I were to go to a meeting in Southern California and, and there were world board members there and, and, and some of my people there, it shouldn't even come up in the meeting what we think about the service structure. And hopefully that would be what would happen. That's the autonomous unity I'm talking about with this podcast. That's the reason this podcast is named autonomous unity is because autonomy and unity can coexist. Not only can they coexist, our traditions mandate it, that they must coexist. And that's what the unity should be about. Unity should never be misinterpreted to settle political debates and disputes. Unity should always be about our first, first and foremost, it's about carrying a message to the addict who still suffers and loving each other as addicts and, and being strong as a fellowship. And it's okay to disagree. And it's okay if we follow the traditions for every home group to not even use the same service structure. But when we follow the 12 steps and 12 traditions, Narcotics Anonymous will be Narcotics Anonymous, regardless of which structures we choose as home groups to have serve us. It will be the same message of freedom from active addiction if we really stick to those traditions, no matter what. And there will be cultural nuances and differences, but there will be no difference in the message that's delivered, that you can achieve freedom from active addiction through the miracle of Narcotics Anonymous, these 12 steps that your home group can be alive and free through these 12 traditions, no matter what. So if you're wondering how we got there, think about this tale of two NAs that I've told you in this slippery slope that we've gone down and consider just maybe, just maybe, that those concepts that were passed back in the 90s, 
that those concepts that happened if, if you've got less than 20 years clean that came that became a part of our services long before you came into our fellowship that just maybe those weren't a renegotiation of our traditions just maybe they weren't a, a very successful attempt to legitimize the ways we started subverting the group conscience process in the early 80s just maybe it's far more likely that some world board didn't suddenly go rogue and implement or try to implement an SSP that just maybe they had valid reason to think they could do it because we've been very slowly going down this slippery slope for a long time and that there are now two NAs and we now do have a fellowship that thinks it has an office and an office that despite the fact that the world board says we're a spiritual fellowship who who has to run a business that they we actually have an office that thinks it has a fellowship. And if that weren't the case, we wouldn't have a world board with a fiduciary obligation to the corporation, but yet that tries to tell us they can serve us as a spiritual fellowship. It reminds me of the old saying, no man can serve two masters. It reminds me that there's a very good reason that we separated the spiritual from the material in the first place and that our traditions mandate that. And I know I recently promised shorter podcasts, and apparently that hasn't happened today. I want to end by reading you a couple things. I want to read you our traditions. Hopefully you already know our traditions. If they're non-negotiable, we all should. But I want to read you our traditions. I could actually recite you our traditions, but I want to read them. I want to make sure I get them word for word that I, I don't accidentally just mispronounce one word. I, if they're non-negotiable, I want to read you our traditions, and then I want to read you the long-term NAS goals from the 2014 conference agenda track that appear on page 8. And I want you to see the difference in mentality if you really think about those traditions and they're non-negotiable and what they really mean. And I want you to see the difference between them and the NAS long-term goals. And then maybe you can go back and listen to the episode pros and concepts and just maybe consider if, if maybe the concepts aren't a bridge from point A to point B with regard to the ideals of our traditions and these NAS long-term goals that you're going to hear read in just a moment. We keep what we have only with vigilance, and just as freedom for the individual comes from the 12 steps, so freedom for the group springs from our traditions. As long as the ties that bind us together are stronger than those that would tear us apart, all will be well. 1. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on N.A. unity. 2. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 3. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop using. 4. Each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or NA as a whole. 5. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the addict who still suffers. 6. An NA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the NA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, or prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 7. Every NA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Narcotics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 9. N.A. as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 
10. NA has no opinion on outside issues, hence the NA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Understanding these traditions comes slowly over a period of time. We pick up information as we talk to members and visit various groups. It usually isn't until we get involved with service that someone points out that personal recovery depends on NA unity, and that unity depends on how well we follow our traditions. Because we hear about suggested steps and no must so often, some of us make a mistake and assume that this applies to the groups the way it applies to the individual. The 12 traditions of NA are not negotiable. They are the guidelines that keep our fellowship alive and free. By following these guidelines in our dealings with others in society at large, we avoid many problems. That is not to say our traditions eliminate them all. We still have to face difficulties as they arise. Communication problems, differences of opinion, internal controversies, and troubles with individuals and groups outside the fellowship. However, when we apply these principles, we avoid some of the pitfalls. Many of our problems are like those our predecessors had to face. Their hard-won experience gave birth to the traditions, and our own experience has shown that these principles are just as valid today as they were when these traditions were formulated. Our traditions protect us from the internal and external forces which could destroy us. They are truly the ties that bind us together. It is only through understanding and application that they work. Now I want to just take a quick aside and say if that sounded a little bit different than what you hear in meetings today, it's because I read it from the second edition. And again, some of our uh, wording was changed uh, when we had the fourth edition fiasco. Uh, and that that changed wording exists within your text to this day, and it is a further illustration of the tale of two NAs, and a corporate NA versus a spiritual one. Now, all that being said, I want to read to you the NAS long-term goals, and we're going to pause after each one. And, and do a little bit of commentary and compare them to our traditions and just how compatible they are. Now, this can be found on page 8 of the 2014 CAT or Conference Agenda Tract. It's put out by the World Board. I'm going to go ahead and read from it directly. It's uh, the NAS Long-Term Goals. It starts out in a continuous effort to realize our vision, and a World Services strives to achieve these goals. And there's nine of them here. 1. NA is understood and accepted as a relevant, reliable, safe, compatible, and spiritual program of recovery. Now, we're going to comment on each one of these and contrast them to the traditions that we just read. And I want to be very clear about something up front. A lot of these will sound very spiritual on the surface until we really analyze them. Uh, we've become adept, uh, our services at the world level have become adept at cloaking corporate principles and things that are outside of our traditions and spiritual clothing. And this may sound like an indictment of the individuals. Again, I believe the vast majority of them, if not all of them, are great people who really believe they're doing what's best for NA. I also really believe that they don't believe in a literal application of our traditions and that non-negotiable doesn't really mean that we don't renegotiate them or that the traditions don't evolve. In fact, in reading uh, the supposedly secret message board that is for World Service Conference participants, uh, a lot of World Board members and RDs, and I think even the alternates on there, you see talk of the way 
our perception of the traditions has evolved and that that's okay. Well, if they're non-negotiable, the traditions don't evolve. Uh, one example of cloaking things in, in spirituality is all the time, uh, and I'm going to really talk about the traditions for a second here. The traditions were meant to be all-inclusive in that uh, they, were, they were meant to be inclu uh, inclusive in that every member of Narcotics Anonymous uh, is not to be excluded, that these traditions are the only thing we have to do to call ourselves groups of NA, and that uh, every member is included in every aspect, and that our our groups and our services are never shut off to the membership. So they're all inclusive. They're inclusive in that regard, but our traditions are meant to be exclusive in this regard. Anything that violates even one of them should not happen. But instead, we use these traditions to exclude addicts. We don't have open participation anymore. We use, the, we use our services to exclude addicts, and we use the traditions to justify it. And then we use the traditions in an inclusive manner to justify anything we want to do. And, and by this, I mean we no longer have this non-professional fellowship. We have very professional committees. Uh, whether people are paid or not, we have this professional administrative process by which people get on the committees. And, and in any time the World Services wants to do something, we say this promotes unity. So it's within it's supported by Tradition One, or this uh, further enables the groups to focus on their primary purpose, which is holding meetings, which we've talked about before. The services exist as an extension of that primary purpose when groups need to get together uh, to coordinate services that are bigger than just one group. We create service boards and committees, but our primary purpose as groups is not to hold meetings. It's to carry the message, and anytime services happen, it should be a direct result of those efforts to carry the message. So groups are primarily responsible for the services, not by just by the ninth tradition, but by the virtue of the fact that that's the reason that we have services at all. By, by virtue of the fourth tradition itself, or excuse me, the fifth tradition itself, uh, that each group has but one primary purpose to carry the message to the addict who still suffers. And when we're talking about that fourth tradition, that, that's that's where we're talking about. That's how we violate the autonomy. When we're violating groups' autonomy by dictating to them and telling them what to do, we say, well, this promotes unity and therefore it affects NA as a whole. And we find ways to include what we want to do in the traditions rather than to say, okay, this violates the group's autonomy or this creates a professional NA or we can't dictate the boundaries of areas to groups and tell them which area and region they have to participate in uh, by virtue of Tradition 9 so we can't do this. We say, well, this promotes unity in our minds, so this is how we use the traditions to sell things to the fellowship, or they should say World Services does. So that being said, those are some examples I've given. You're going to see that right off here in the first goal and I'm going to reread that goal number one of the NAS long-term goals is NA is understood and accepted as relevant reliable safe compatible as accepted as a relevant reliable safe compatible and spiritual program of recovery well there's not a whole lot of problem with NA being understood as reliable safe and spiritual but Understood and accepted. Accepted is not our business. We don't get to decide whether or not we're accepted if we follow those traditions because our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. It doesn't matter if we're accepted. Our program works and we don't need to modify it. And as relevant, 
reliable, safe, compatible. The, the, the problem here is, is the words relevant and compatible. Hopefully it, it's, it's accepted. It's our responsibility to make sure that we provide accurate information so that it can be understood. We don't get to decide who accepts it. And we don't get to make it acceptable by making sure that it's relevant to treatment centers and drug courts or that it's compatible with any services outside of Narcotics Anonymous. Because according to Tradition 10, we have no opinion on outside issues. And according to Tradition 6, we don't enmesh ourselves with outside agencies. We don't do anything to promote or endorse them. So we don't make ourselves compatible with them. Enough said about that one. I'm, I'm going to move on to goal number two. A network of worldwide trusted servants acts as an effective, consistent, and a resource for local governments, professionals, and the media. I don't even know if I have to comment on that one. It's sad. A network of worldwide trusted servants acts as an effective, consistent, and a resource for local governments, professionals, and the media. We're talking in our traditions. Our traditions are, are about non-affiliation, you know, non-promotion, non-professionalism. Hey, let's talk about Tradition 11, and our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Well, how... Are we to be an, uh, uh, are, are trusted servants to be an effective resource to the media? I guess they could feed the media information and answer questions, but does this set up something where we're giving quotes to the Philadelphia Inquirer and, and giving our first names and our last names and our titles and then hiding behind the, the fact that we're special workers rather than trusted servants as if the, the traditions that create trusted servants and apply to trusted servants that also create special workers don't also apply to the special workers. The special workers aren't in fact a, a, a compensated servant, a servant, an employee rather than a servant, a servant unpaid. Maybe I, I guess you do have paid servants, but they're paid servants and it's not supposed to be a career thing. It's something that we pay for menial tasks that we normally have to hire from outside the fellowship. But again, it's this whole entanglement with outside entities. We don't need to be a resource for local governments, professionals, and the media. We need to tell them we exist. We are not a resource or an agent of the media, governments, or treatment professionals. Number three, NA is a truly global fellowship with increasing access to literature in all languages and a commitment by all to work together to support community development worldwide. Well, NA is truly a global fellowship. And, and my question that I've posed in other podcasts is with $82 million in over 10 years in profit from just literature and key tag sales alone, not to mention $8 million that comes in in that same time from the fellowship why are we not in in every language anyway why does the sixth edition talk about uh as of 2010 we have addicts speaking like 65 different languages and the basic text is already in 20 of them well if we're so committed to carrying this message and if it's really not about administrative costs and if this really is uh, about spirituality and, and why with that kind of profit margin do we spend less translating the basic text 
in 10 years than we spend on having a world board in one. And you can look up those figures. They come under two different categories in the, uh, the, uh, in the same, same CAT where we're talking about having a world board and eight meetings a year and training them and then flying the world board all over the fellowship and having them attend workshops and fellowships to train us. But we're talking about community development worldwide in this this long-term goal. Why are we developing communities? The way this used to work was people would hear our message through these traditions and these steps and in our book getting out there. And before we even had a book, people would hear the message of Narcotics Anonymous, sometimes traveling nomad groups of home groups, much like the one that I have uh, – I'm a member of today that I have joined uh, – they would go to these communities where people were having to go to AA and people would go, wow, they've got something for us. That's cool. Let's do this. Or people would get a hold of NA literature and they'd start a group. And, and groups would have to stand on their own. And it's not about that we don't help each other out. It's not about that my home group can't reach out to yours and say, can you give us some advice? Can you help us? Man, can you spare some literature? All that's great. But we don't develop communities worldwide. That's contrary to self-support, because self-support's just not about money. That's contrary to our autonomy. That's about power and control. Four, technology is used more effectively to communicate in a timely manner to provide easier opportunities for members to continue to participate and to support fellowship development efforts worldwide. And again, maybe this is a, a, a problem of uh, semantics here. Why are we developing fellowships? By according to our traditions, we make Narcotics Anonymous available everywhere we can. We make the literature available. We make the program available. And we tell people how they can start their Narcotics Anonymous groups. And we let them do it. It's the only way for it to long-term flourish and work is to let addicts build their own communities, to let them invest in it. And the therapeutic value of one addict helping others without parallel. We need to let that therapeutic value happen. We don't need to develop and start NA communities. We don't need to force NA where it does not exist, but we do need to make sure that the resources are available and that people understand that they can do so of their own volition and that they can have a group of Narcotics Anonymous anytime they want, with or without the literature. And, and we need to make that literature available to them. And it's the difference between $11.55 on a marked up book and home groups like mine and others who are willing to send literature all over the world. Uh, in the case of the home group I belong to, because we're very cash poor at cost. In the case of some of these other home groups, free of charge. If we can afford the literature here, because it, it's not about one home group supporting another. It's about that home group carrying the that home group in maybe Allentown, Pennsylvania, carrying the message to Africa or to Germany or to uh, somewhere in the United Kingdom and sending them the basic texts so that they have the information to grow their own fellowship. That's that's a home group directly carrying the message to addicts. It's not about them developing a community. They can tell them, here's what we did. Here's how our home group started. But we let them develop their own communities and we make the information available to them. It's all about attraction and not promotion. It's all about self-support rather than central control. It's all about autonomy, except in matters affecting other groups or NA as a whole. And it's not a justification to go growing NA affects NA as a whole so that we can then usurp autonomy and get around that. It's about 
here's the resources. Now you make NA happen and, and you let it be your fellowship in your NA because in reality it is your fellowship in your NA regardless of what we think or who we think is in charge. A loving higher power is in charge and it happens at the group level and only we as addicts can build the home groups and the home groups are indeed the answer. Making another service structure isn't going to fix anything. And a lot of you probably think that that would be my opinion, that we need an alternate service structure. In my opinion, that what we call an alternate service structure isn't an alternate service structure. It's it's the traditional service structure. And I my home group participates in something called the alternate service information structure. But every home group that I know of that participates in that structure does not believe that that structure is the answer. That the answer is the home groups. That that structure exists because our home groups run it. Because our home groups have created service boards and committees directly responsible to those they serve. And that that happens naturally and organically. And that NA will always live as, as long as the home groups are the ones in control. And as long as we practice a true group conscience and seek the guidance of a loving higher power. As long as we seek group conscience rather than a quick group opinion through an on-the-spot vote. And we do take a vote. But we try not to just do it quickly. We try and go home and pray and talk to sponsors and, and meditate and work an 11th step on it. And find out what's truly our higher power's will for us and, and ask for the power to carry that out. Again, the problems with number four are pretty much the same as problems, the problems with number three. Five, members have better access to workshops, training, and service tools through greater use of technology and more effective use of zones. Okay, training. Better access to workshops, training, and service tools. through. Why are we training our members? Why are we training trusted servants? Well, if you believe in the concepts, it's because we're training effective leaders. Again, there's a glaring difference between what a trusted servant does and what an effective leader is. But why are we training the fellowship? That's completely outside of our traditions. That has nothing to do with NA remaining forever non-professional. Now, the next thing I'm going to say here isn't really so much about the traditions, but that there's a very key term here that says through more effective use of zones. And in the uh, CAT budgets, it talks about uh, one of the expenditures is for World uh, Service Board members uh, to go to these zonal forums and, and workshops and, and trainings. And again, why are we having you know, a, a World Board that's trained by a corporation training addicts at workshops and zonal forums or, or whatever it may be. But this, I'm, I'm going to conjecture a little bit here because we've talked about World Services has made very clear talk of getting the conference down to a manageable size, cutting the number of participants. And it's just too much, you know, yet in the, in the same breath, we're talking here about more effective use of technology. How come we don't talk about technology uh, to reduce the size of that conference or so that that conference doesn't have to have everybody physically there. What do we need to take everybody to some super expensive ranch and, and uh, you know, do whatever we do to make them feel bad, good and give them a hug from a world service board member and, and treat them to all sorts of, of uh, perks on the fellowship dime uh, while they're at the world service conference uh, to ensure that they're more in lockstep with corporate control. And why are we talking about cutting some of that budget, if, if the conference is 
too much to handle. Why aren't we talking about not flying world board members all over and using a half a million dollars a year uh, instead of 300 some odd thousand dollars over 10 years to translate the basic text into different languages, if that's really what's more important. NA flourished long before we had world board members to train us at zonal forums. But this, this talk of the zones, when they're talking about reducing the size of the WSC, uh, and, and obviously the SSP didn't pass the way they wanted it to. It, it shouldn't have even been listed as an alternative the way the vote went, but they, they got that after they straw polled. Uh, you know, straw polling usually happens on new business so that they can defeat something that the fellowship's not ready to hear and not informed on that the World Board doesn't want yet. And it's called an unofficial vote, but it's very official in new business when the World Board doesn't want something. Even though it's an unofficial vote, they use it to kill stuff before the fellowship ever hears it. Yet when it's something the World Board's been spending money on and pushing for years, under the guise of motions and proposals that say to agree in spirit to investigate something being used as license to revamp our entire service structure. Now, when the fellowship doesn't vote for what the world or what the world board has been pushing for, now we use straw polling and now it's unofficial. We're going to straw poll it in old business where we should just take the damn vote and let it be final and straw poll it and then go into an 18-hour CBDM session until we get some sort of compromise because everybody's tired and hungry and, and wants to go home. And, and for some reason, group conscience, well, we know the reason group conscience goes out the window because they've all been given a vote of confidence and re confidence and the regional delegates can be dissuaded and go out. Uh, maybe it's for the fellowship to just have a compromise here and let the world board do what they want to do. But but here, there's my point here is is they're going to make sure that this SSP happens slowly. And if you don't believe me, uh, get in and read even just portions of Beyond Ma a Membership Marketing by Delizia, the consultant, because that's the model they're following uh, to the T. Make it appear as though people have input. Uh, implement things slowly in pieces if your membership isn't going to go for it right away. And that's why we had, instead of the SSP being put forth as a whole based on its own merit, motions four, five, and six at the 2014 WSC, because if they could get one of those motions to pass, they're all inter interdependent on each other and you need them all. And they were counting on at least one of them passing. And there were actually memos that circulated, one which I saw with my own eye that said the SSP isn't going to pass on its own merit. We need to break it up into pieces, pass it a piece at a time. It's all in a Delizia model, but... I'm giving you a little bit of a back history with this. One of the things that we talked about in another podcast is one of the ways they may try to further limit group conscience at some point is to take this down to zonal votes, at least within the U.S. And this isn't about U.S. versus the rest of the world. This is about if you get the U.S. votes down far enough, now the world board votes are far more uh, precious, far more effective, and the fellowship can never take back control through a two-thirds vote if you have enough world board votes so that they represent more than one-third of the total voting membership. Uh, right now, I believe the world board votes are probably around the 15% mark. You know, all you need to do is is uh, you know, pretty much cut the number in half or a little bit more than in half of the U.S. votes, and now the world board alone is a voting block can block any change the fellowship wants to make that would require a two-thirds majority. 
So that effective use of zones, and again, if it seems benign, think of the ways in which the SSP came about and a degree in spirit to look into doing this or that or investigate our services and look at viable alternatives and that being used as a license to run roughshod and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on the development of the SSP model and try and cram it down the fellowship's throat. And if you think the SSP isn't going to happen, there's proof in long-term goal number nine, which we're going to read in a minute. And if you've got this uh, document up on your computer or you have one in your hand and you're following along, uh, jump down to number nine and, and read it ahead of time if you want. You'll be shocked. And anyway, number five, uh, excuse me, we just read number five. Number six, every member demonstrates commitment to the fellowship through contributions and willingness to serve. I'm going to point out really quickly, these are the NAS long-term goals. Every member demonstrates commitment to the fellowship through contributions and willingness to serve. Well, contributions to what? These are the NAS long-term goals. I'm assuming they mean contributions to Narcotics Anonymous World Services. If you read the way they tell us things should happen, groups should be donating uh, to areas and regions and world, and, and everybody should be kicking money down to world. They'd probably say up to world, but the way our services are set up, they're the lowest level, not the highest. Uh, this is about if you want to be a, a, if you want to be a good member of Narcotics Anonymous, you need to be willing to serve and and give us money. Now, being willing to serve, every member of NA should be willing to serve. I, I believe that, but the only requirement for memberships is the desire to stop using. Every member demonstrates commitment to the fellowship, and that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with every member demonstrating commitment to the fellowship, but we don't. To me, it's a dangerous, slippery slope when every member demonstrates commitment to the fellowship by willingness to serve and contribute. And, and contribute may not mean just monetarily. We should all be willing to serve and contribute, and if we follow our seventh tradition, Part of that is that we are willing to serve and contribute, but we cannot deny anybody membership or make them feel like second-class members because they don't, because the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop using. And sometimes that's, that's if you remember being a newcomer, that's a huge mountain in and of itself for some newcomers. Sometimes the desire to stop using is very small because the fear of withdrawal is much bigger or the fear of, of a change in life or spirituality or or any type of change and anything that's not totally familiar becoming foreign and dangerous, you know, that, that fear is very real in a newcomer's mind. Hell, it can be very real in the minds of, of recovering addicts at times. And again, that one's probably not so far out other than it just feels very corporate to me and is it very, it feels almost like a slimy tactic. And again, that one's probably the least out of line with the traditions as, as far as anything we've read. It's fine every member demonstrates, and for that to be a goal that uh, members, that maybe the membership in general, but every member demonstrates a willingness to serve. It almost feels to me like, you know, we're going to hold you individually accountable and, and you need to be giving us money. It just, I don't know, it feels like a slimy, it, it just feels like a slimy guilt tactic to me. It feels like the implication is that you should be donating to world services and supporting the corporation uh, when I'm far more comfortable um, putting 14, 15 bucks into a traditionalist basket when I go to a traditionalist meeting uh, and uh, and knowing that that money's not going to go to NA World Services and that uh, if I put $12 in the basket that that's going to produce 12 basic texts that are going to be given to addicts for free instead of producing uh, a number of basic texts that uh, 
maybe five or six basic ticks that are going to be sold to the newcomer uh, for $11.55 or more. Matter of fact, it's not even going to do that. The $12 that I put in that basket for that group, that group is going to be able to buy one basic text from Nas if they wanted to give that to a newcomer for free. Uh, so, you know, if I was donating that money directly to Nas, they could use it to produce, you know, maybe five basic texts that they'd turn around and sell for a, a profit. If I give that same $12 to a traditionalist home group, which I quite frequently do, and not just my own, uh, the money's far better spent, you know, and when I go to a, a meeting that uses the concepts or donates on up to world, I usually don't put money in a basket. Uh, if I have a cup of coffee, I might put a quarter or 50 cents in there. But, uh, you know, I, I just feel like our money's far better spent at the group level. And if so, if a group wants to donate to world, that's okay. But, you know, I personally will donate to world when they get in line with our traditions, when they stop trying to dictate to the fellowship, when we truly become a fellowship with an office rather than an office with a fellowship. Now, this next long-term goal just sickens me and turns my stomach. And, and coincidentally, it's, it's goal number seven. And uh, it's in direct contradiction to tradition number seven. A diverse mix of revenue streams generates greater resources that can be devoted to fellowship and literature development, improving our ability to carry the NA message. And this is a classic example of cloaking a violation of our traditions in spiritual traditional speak, improving our ability to carry the NA message. So, man, hey, we are right in line with tradition number five right there. Each group has but one primary purpose to carry the message to the addict who still suffers. Never mind the fact that every NA group ought to be so fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. And, and again, the, the traditions do apply to our service structures. The service structures, our service centers, our special workers, our service structures, and our trusted servants are created by the traditions themselves. And yes, they are directly accountable to follow those traditions. And is a service structure autonomous the way a group is? No, it's not. Service structures are directly accountable to the groups they serve and should be told what to do and controlled by the groups they serve. But they, by extension, have the same primary purpose, and they cannot be funded by the home groups. They cannot be given a blank check, that, but they are only the, the activity, the, the duties that they carry out are only to be funded by the group contributions, by our home groups. If we want a service structure to do something, we need to fund that service directly. Not through outside contributions, a diverse mix of revenue streams. Okay, how diverse do we need it? We know they get money from vendors, which is uh, uh, outside of our traditions. We got vendors selling NA products, whether they're members of NA or not, for a profit. And as long as Nas gets their cut, that's okay. Uh, we have uh, the literature profit, which uh, is outside of our traditions. We're extorting our newcomers and our old timers alike for the message. And, uh, you know, even if we, uh, a lot of people on my side of things, our side of things, the traditional side, say it's okay to mark the literature up enough to run the office. I don't particularly agree with that sentiment, but I can see it as a value, valid point. But the services we're funding right now go far beyond anything that the fellowship has approved. And the profit margins that we are running as a spiritual fellowship, quote unquote, are ridiculous. So we have fellowship contributions, we have marked up literature, and we have vendors. How, how diverse mix of revenue streams do they need? It could be argued in a corporate world that three revenue streams are not necessarily a diverse mix or are far from it. So what are they talking about here? How far outside of our traditions are we willing to go?
What is this diverse mix of revenue streams that they're referring to? And again, we, we add that line here, improving our ability to carry the NA message. You have addicts all of a sudden going, oh, no, this is outside our traditions when you read that first line. And as soon as you see improving our ability to carry the NA message, oh, okay, there's the justification. And that's literally what it is. It's a direct violation of our traditions. It's a direct violation of our traditions that's cloaked in spiritual speak, where instead of saying this violates Tradition 7 and self-support and money coming only from the home groups and money coming only from, oh, well, this is going to improve our ability to carry the message worldwide. It's okay for Hazleton to fund the printing of our fourth edition because it improves our ability to carry the message. Well, the service structure isn't decide doesn't decide how we carry the message. It's the primary purpose of the groups. The service structure only supports the groups in carrying out their primary purpose. The service structure only does what they're told by the groups, but they are nonetheless bound by those same traditions to not violate them. And because the groups cannot get money anywhere than through member contributions and direct support, and maybe it's okay for a group to produce a t-shirt. I don't know. It would be a debate for a whole other show. Produce an NA t-shirt to sell to the home group members. That the home group members know they're paying a markup and that they're really donating to the home group. In which case, why not just donate the money? Why not sell the shirts at cost and ask people to donate extra? <laughs> you know, it makes no sense when we start playing with these traditions and, and marketing NA. But if only the groups... If the groups create the service committees and the service committees are a tool for NA and, and we can't affiliate with anything or fund anything that's outside of NA, so we can't hand a service committee a blank check because they're technically outside of NA and we can only fund those projects we have them carry out for and on our behalf, you know, we can't get those funds from anywhere else. So why is World Services talking about a diverse mix of revenue streams and why are they deciding where the money comes from instead of the groups telling them what services we want? Well, it's because for years they've been printing our literature at a profit and deciding what the hell they want to spend money on all along. That the money is spent on things that the groups aren't privy to or that the groups don't get to make a decision on. It never goes back to the home groups. We're literally extorted for the literature. And then that money is used to fund things. And it literally takes away your home group's right to vote and to not fund things. If your home group votes against something or doesn't want a particular service and doesn't want to fund it, you literally have no choice because, well, you do because you got baby blues and second editions and even groups who are printing fifth and sixth editions out there. Your group can buy the literature or print it itself it is the, the secret they don't want you to know. The, the, the reason they're trying to set us against each other when we do print our own literature. But you quite literally, if you were to believe what we're being told and only purchase your literature through this monopoly, your group has to fund something it doesn't want. And the 1988 uh, Select Committee uh, on uh, of the WSC on, on service what they talked about goes totally out the window that any group has the right to accept or reject any decision made in its behalf, even if that decision is otherwise supported by the vast majority of other NA groups. And I don't know if I got that word for word because I'm trying to quote it off the top of my head. I don't actually have that one up. But that's not word for word. It's very similar to that. Uh, you know, So this diverse mix of revenue streams, I, I can't even believe – they had the balls to put it in there. And I'm sorry for the language, but my God, I can't believe they actually put that in there. And that, that talking about carrying the NA message would, in their minds, be enough to 
fix that and make it okay by the traditions. Eight, more members are discussing and building consensus on issues at all levels, generating a greater sense of trust in the global decision-making process. Holy crap. Now, I'm not even going to get into CBDM and all the problems I have with that. We've discussed it a little in other podcasts and touched on it even a little today with the way CBDM was used to manipulate the SSP vote at the last, uh, at the, I shouldn't say the last because you may be listening to this in 2016 or 2018. This is being recorded in 2014. So the 2014 WSC, we already saw how CBDM uh, was used to manipulate and make sure that the SSP got into their service manual because it's not mine it's not the group it's not the service manual of the group that i belong to Uh, but discussing and building consensus on issues at all levels and again this is we don't need to all agree on everything at all levels but the real problem with this is generating a greater sense of trust in the global decision making process and this is what i'm talking about traditionalism versus conceptualism traditionalist versus conceptualists Traditionalists apply these traditions literally. We don't filter them or renegotiate them through the concepts. The global decision-making process. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. It's a group. That's where ultimate authority takes place is at the group level. That's who decides. And the reason we put in our original basic text that services can't rule, censor, decide, or dictate Now, the Board of Trustees actually said that they didn't have a problem with the word, they they, they they didn't have a problem with the words rule, censor, or dictate being removed, but that services do decide. Well, then why did they then remove all of them? It's because they were ruling, censoring, deciding, and dictating in one foul swoop when they removed the language to begin with. But beyond that, services do not decide. When we apply these traditions literally, literally, the service structure does not decide. Area does not decide anything. We take it back to the home groups. We take a group conscience through hopefully a somewhat lengthy process of trying to actually get a group conscience rather than a quick vote. And then the representative, the GSR, goes from your group to the area service committee and casts your group's vote. And the group conscience of the various home groups is expressed at the area level. But the area doesn't decide because the home groups have decided through their group conscience. And then it goes to the region level. And the regions send it back down to the areas of something originating area to all the other areas in the region and to their home groups and their home groups voted area. And then the areas go back and take the area vote. And I'm far more in favor of a literal group tally at every level. But regardless, the service structure does not decide. This is about... The NAS long-term goals. Let's be honest. Is, is it, this, of course, this is going to be their long-term goals. This is all stuff that makes NAS stronger, that makes corporate centralized control stronger. And if you don't believe it's about centralized control, go back and read the follow-up to the 1988 WSC Select Committee report on service and read the 1989 Ad Hoc uh, Committee on service structure. Uh, and there was a little bit of change in membership in that one where they talk about these coming concepts and and some addicts may fear a more centralized control and and a tyranny of trusted servants and 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 this and 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 a little, I don't know if they used the words loss of autonomy, but they did say more centralized control, and they didn't say it wasn't going to happen. They went on to talk about it works how and why, and say the fact is we need it. We need this to happen. This number eight goes back to the very issue. When the fellowship started to lose control of the office, when we started to become an office with the fellowship, this tale of two NAs, the corporate NA versus the spiritual NA. 
And there's not even two NAs because the corporate NA does not exist. That's why we separate the material from the spiritual. NA is only the spiritual fellowship. There is no spiritual part of the program. The, the program is a spiritual program, and anything that doesn't deal with the spirituality can at best be a tool for that hammer in the hand, that screwdriver in the hand, whatever metaphor you want to use. It, any service for NA can at best be a tool for NA. There is no global decision-making process. It happens at the home group level. There can be a global literature approval process whereby each individual home group's conscience is expressed. But the global committee does not make the decision. Everything is approved by the home groups ultimately, if we literally apply those traditions. And it hasn't happened in years. And I think we all, no matter what side of the issue you're on, I think we all know it. Number nine, this is, I'm going to just read it because it sounds very benign at first, but I want you to think of it in the context of, and maybe you'll pick up on it right away. Think of it in the context of the SSP and everything we've been talking about and the way they've tried to make that happen and the fact that the assumption that it's just going to happen. They are going to redefine boundaries. They are going to reduce uh, the size of the participants in the WSC and limit group conscience. They are going to get what they want in the SSP eventually. And if you don't believe that's the mentality that it's going to happen, whether we want it or not, listen to number nine. The components of the service system work collaboratively to realize the NA vision. Now, part of the jargon and part of the... Uh, propaganda that has gone out for years in, in favor of the SSP has been we need a service system, not a service structure. It's called the service system project, the SSP. It doesn't say the components of the service structure work collaboratively to realize the NA vision. It doesn't say the components of our fellowship services. It doesn't say our areas, regions, and World Service Committee work collaboratively to realize the NA vision. It says the components of the service system work collaboratively to realize the NA vision. The service system. The service system is the proposed model that failed at the 2014 WSC, or the, the motions four, five, and six, the parts of the model that have failed. The service system project. The service system project is the verb that is bringing about the noun, the service system. The service system is the ultimate goal. To replace the service structure that is currently in place with the service system that they want. Number nine presupposes that the agenda already happens. It's in the NAS long-term goals. Well, if the fellowship takes direct, it gives direction to the office, if we're truly a fellowship with an office, and if the NAS Corporation and Narcotics Anonymous World Services, the World Service Office and the World Board truly take direction from us as a fellowship, if we're truly a fellowship with an office, rather than an office with a fellowship or a corporation with a fellowship or a world board with a fellowship, then why is it presupposed in NAS long-term goal number nine that the components of the service system work collaboratively to realize the NA vision? Why is that a NAS goal when the fellowship hasn't even voted on the service system yet at this point? Because when the CAT comes out, the conference has not yet happened. We have not had one official vote on the actual service system itself. We've had a lot of preliminary stuff, the stuff to agree in spirit to move forward on looking at the service structure. But as far as anything concrete being implemented, the very first vote had not happened, and they knew it was going to fail. That's why they broke it up into three motions, and that's part of the reason the whole thing wasn't presented 
in 2014 to begin with because they knew they had to implement it slow and they had this backup plan all along that if we can't get at least one of them to pass in the straw polling, we'll hold the whole voting process up despite the rules that say we vote on old business right now. And we go ahead and go into this long, drawn-out CBDM process and wear them down and then talk about the spiritual principle of compromise and putting it in there as an option. Well, if we follow the traditions and the groups are autonomous, your group can create whatever service system or service structure it wants to anyway. And the only reason it needs to go into a manual is because it's about central control. But number nine is about an office with a fellowship, a world board with a fellowship, a corporation with a fellowship instead of a corporate corporation or an office that takes direction from the fellowship that they serve. Because if they truly took directions from us, we would write the goals. If they truly took directions from us, they'd at least wait until the vote happened to make the long-term goal. These aren't short-term goals. These are the NAS long-term goals. The service system's already there, folks, before you even took a vote. And after it's defeated, the long-term goals are still the long-term goals. Wow, two hours in. You know, I've recorded so many podcasts, and, and uh, you'd be surprised, very uh, a minority of them probably actually make it to the Internet. <laughs> So I don't really remember if when I said we're going to do shorter podcasts, if that uh, made it onto the net or not. <laughs> but um, I really didn't expect this one to take two hours. And I, I probably do this. I know I've read this in other podcasts, and I probably read it far too often. But with regard to this topic, there's no better way I can think of to end things and to read the words of Greg Pierce as he wrote them uh, in our gray form with regard to Tradition 9 itself. And getting back to the topic of this tale of two NAs, uh, as I read this, I want you to, this is really representative of the way the fellowship felt about services and the way it operated and the spiritual nature of our fellowship uh, back when the basic text was being written. It's in the gray form, which was an approval, not approval draft, a pre-approval draft, a rough draft of our basic text that went out to the entire fellowship. And it's very indicative of the way things used to run. And it was very different from what you may be familiar with if you've been around only 10 or 15 years or like myself, 17. It may be very different than this sterile, controlled process when there is any participation by the groups that you're used to. And it is far less organized, but yet at the same time, very effective what we used to do, this open participation. And it's not that there was no organization to the processes that happened, but it was much more open, um, probably at times much more, you would think much more chaotic, but my recent experience in, in Lisbon, Ohio was there was nobody in charge, literally, and there was no chaos, and there was no fighting, and there was no, and there were huge disagreements of opinion. If you think all traditionalists think alike, oh my goodness. I play on my podcast to anybody who calls themselves a traditionalist. And I'm talking people who legitimately reject the concepts. I bet you they'll probably find four or five things in any given podcast that they disagree with me on. We, we don't all agree on things, but we know what autonomous unity is because we literally apply our traditions. And we know that unity is not uniformity. And we can still love each other and be under the direction of a higher power, a loving higher power through the home group level 
even when we disagree. And I mentioned it on other podcasts, but I saw a home group uh, who had written a piece of literature their home group had approved and, and two guys with very strong personalities that I thought, man, they're going to have it out, and they didn't. They hugged it out when the the committee was going to change this and, and the one man who wasn't a member of the group who wanted it written didn't feel it was appropriate for the fellowship and and the response was that's okay my home group it, it works for us it's our literature and if you change it that's okay we don't get to tell the fellowship what to do we don't get to tell the participants of as is what is their home group literature and they don't get to tell us and it wasn't a, a mad thing and there was nothing harmful or dangerous in there it was just a difference of opinion on the processes by which we do certain things, by which we work the steps, how much writing should be done, how many phone calls should be made, uh, you know, very minor stuff when you really look at it, but stuff that people uh, were very serious and passionate about. And uh, they, they didn't even fight and they were hugging out and they were loving each other. And these are two men who are considered friends, um, but who, don't have a problem very strongly disagreeing with each other and have in the past. And yet they come to a service committee and they know the spiritual principles that guide them and they know the home groups are in charge and that that means that a loving higher power is in charge. And and you had people who literally participated in, in major ways in the writing of our basic text, one of them in particular, and others who were there participating in the writing itself back when our basic texts were written and, and uh, another member who had participated in huge ways in a, in a baby blue case and nobody was trying to be in charge. In fact, the ones you thought were going to take control, step back and let other people have the input and and run the agendas. And and they, it's not that they didn't give input, but they were equal members of Narcotics Anonymous and quite literally didn't put themselves above anyone or try to control the process at all. And one of these guys is a very strong personality who uh, admittedly likes to control things. But you know, I've said in a podcast before, I'm not a guy who likes to beat you into submission. I actually, it's one of my character defects. I don't like to participate in it. And that's the beautiful thing when we apply these traditions, our character defects don't control us. Anyway, I've babbled long enough. If you're still with me after two hours and five minutes I commend you on your patience <laughs> and I thank you for indulging me in my very unprofessional uh, amateur manner and I hope that you've got something from what I've said today and if you didn't thank you for listening and at least letting me get something from it anyway this is tradition nine the way Greg Pierce wrote it NA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. This tradition defines the way we run our fellowship. A lot of confusion has occurred because of misinterpretations of our ninth tradition. Our members are addicts who have the desire to stop using, who want what we have to offer, and who have chosen to join us. Our meetings are a gathering of members for the purpose of staying clean. Our principles are the 12 steps and 12 traditions. Another point of confusion is the term organized, which has several meanings. Our steps and traditions are uniform and set in a specific order. They are numbered. They are not random and unstructured. Certainly they are organized, but this is not the organization of our ninth tradition. For the purpose of this tradition, organized means having an administrative structure, and this implies management and control. 
On this basis, the meaning of Tradition 9 is clear. NA should never be run by bureaucracy or management nor controlled by individuals within an administrative structure. If we were to allow this, NA would surely lose the best it has to offer and choke to death on our insanities. Even without this tradition, organizations such as this would be in opposition to our spiritual principles. A loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience, would find no place within an administrative structure. How could a trusted servant manage and control? Service and management are contradictory. Government implies control, but our leaders do not govern. How could autonomy exist in an administrative structure? Specialization and professionalism are the basis of any management scheme. Any administrative structure by its very nature eliminated the possibility of autonomy. An organized N.A. is a contradiction in terms, and any attempt to force organization on us would destroy us. The Ninth Tradition goes on to define the nature of things we can do outside N.A. to help N.A. It says that we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. This is the basis of our service structure, but keep in mind that although these entities are created to serve our fellowship, they are not, in fact, a part of Narcotics Anonymous. Our service structure consists of our groups and their business sense, our area service committees, regional service committees, world service conference, world board of trustees, and world service office. Each of these is directly responsible through the service structure to the members of NA and to a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Now, this, again, was written at a time when we had a somewhat different service structure, especially at the world level. We don't even have trustees anymore. Uh, the corporation called itself World Service Office Incorporated rather than taking on our NA name in violation of our sixth tradition, calling itself Narcotics Anonymous World Services. But so much of what he said in there stands in stark contrast to the way we do things today. Stand in stark contrast to the administrative structures. And again, consider those goals we just read and the spirit of what was written there. Because that's the tale of two NAs. That's the NA that used to exist. The NA that gave direction to world services and to the service structures rather than taking permission from them and seeking guidance and permission from the services to act. That's the tale of two NAs. And I would encourage you to go back and play what I just read to you again and think of it in the context of everything we just read. Compare it to those NAS long-term goals. Compare it to the concepts. And that's really the crux of it. Do we want to be organized and have an administrative structure? Are you already seeing the effects of that in your area? Are you already seeing debates that start in treatment centers and spill out into our meetings? Are you already seeing old timers being run out of the rooms because these traditions are inconvenient or because they're not open-minded enough to allow treatment centers to dominate? Are you already seeing debates in your meetings about who snitched on me at drug court? Are you already seeing meetings where 90% of the people are court ordered in rather than actually want to be there? And there's nothing wrong with us allowing people to come into our meetings from who don't yet consider themselves members, but there is a problem when we allow the courts to order people in who don't want to be there to the degree that 
the message isn't carried anymore. To the degree that N.A. is viewed as a lesser punishment than going to jail rather than a spiritual solution. And how can that message be carried when we become such agents of the courts through trying to be compatible and relevant and all the things that those Nas long-term goals describe and all the things that our concepts allow world services to do without it going back to the home groups for a direct vote. When those things start to happen, how can we carry an effective message of Narcotics Anonymous? How can we let that person who's who's ordered there by the drug court know the spiritual program we have to offer when 90% of the floor is dominated by treatment center style sharing where everybody's sharing a mess and nobody's sharing a message or where it's a fight about who snitched on me at drug court. How can we show them the beauty of our program when that voice isn't even heard in the meetings? And that's what happens when we enmesh ourselves, when we get outside the traditions. And that's the tale of two NAs. There's the Narcotics Anonymous that tries to exist outside the traditions. And every time we go from it, one of two things happens. The fellowship dies or starts to die. Or we get back within the traditions and and the fellowship actually wins. The corporate interests lose control and the fellowship is allowed to run our spiritual program again. It's happened every time throughout our history and we're at a crucial juncture now. And it's been a very slippery slope to get to this point. It's going to take a lot more to get back to where we should be and where we once were than has ever been the case in our history. But the beautiful thing is we're far closer to it today than we have been since the concepts were implemented, at least since we went to this super board system where the world board took over, for lack of a better term. We're far closer to that ideal than we've ever been because far more groups are opening their mind to the idea that world services are not in control. And when we all realize that the answer lies within each individual home group and not some service structure, we'll be there. I'm Chubbs the Addict. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Autonomous Unity. 